Hello, and welcome to the Press Gallery interview. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. I'm Elise Stolte, columnist with the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Mayor, the Mayor of Edmonton, Don Iveson. Hello. Hi there. Welcome. Glad to be here. Now, we don't often tackle municipal topics on the press gallery, but the province has a lot to say in how cities are run, and cities are really important in our lives. Both of us care a lot about them. So I'd like to pick your brain on the upcoming election, including that tricky question of whether to endorse or not to endorse. I want to talk about this new city funding scheme that will tie municipal funding to the economy, and also carbon tax, just because that's a hot topic that I know you've done a lot of thinking on. But let's start with the election. I'm betting May, as most people are. Guessing you're betting May too? Well, we're we're Inside hearing uh, we're hearing earlier than that too potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but but we hear all the r- same rumors and and who knows when it will be. But uh, we're certainly gearing up uh, to be ready to be part of the conversation because uh, there's a leadership opportunity for Edmonton City Council and and municipal organizations in this province to speak up and make sure that the issues that affect our communities and our ability to serve our citizens' needs and support economic growth uh, uh, and solve environmental challenges are. Are, are all met in a way that allows us to move forward as a province collectively. And so so we're ramping up uh, and we'll be ready uh, for whenever it comes. You talked about in the last civic election, seeing your role as um, really trying to get every candidate to take stands on certain issues that thought were really important. Is that, I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of similar. You want to get out there, make sure you help shape the conversation. What are your top three issues that you want debate on? Well, in a in a twenty eight day campaign, if we can make a few of the days about municipal issues, that would be great because there are lots of important issues that uh, Albertans are are going to be thinking about. Um, but one that's critically important that we spent a lot of time here in the city on is housing uh, and how investments in housing will actually save money for all of us uh, and improve productivity, improve the efficiency of our healthcare system, reduce people's interactions with the justice system. All those savings then acc- accumulate on the prevention provincial ledger. Uh, And then, of course, there are savings to the city, we presume, around policing and really, really important gains to be had around reducing social disorder and, and frankly, ensuring that uh, uh, the most vulnerable among us in our city are treated with more dignity than they have been traditionally. And so uh, we're going to be talking about housing. That's going to be one of our big priorities. We're going to be talking about municipal funding in general, but really from the perspective of keeping uh, the funding agreements that we've secured. And we'll talk about the city charter fiscal arrangements a little bit later, I gather. Uh, so uh, we're going to want to make sure that everyone's committed to sticking with the, the new legislation, which uh, which came in late last year. And then I think one of the other key issues uh, uh, specific to transit and then related to our environmental objectives is, um, uh, is everyone committed to long-term transit funding? It sounds like there's commitments around shorter-term transit funding and honoring the deals that are in place. But, uh, you know, we want to keep a conversation going about how do we get uh, rapid transit extended to uh, Castle Downs and then St. Albert uh, and out into our annexation area and then to the airport and out through Capilano to uh, Strathcona County, for example. And you need long-term commitments to do that. Federal government's moving towards long-term commitments, uh, we think, you know, an open-ended commitment to transit. And we, we hope that uh, all provincial parties will be able to match that. So transit, housing, infrastructure funding, uh, for sure. And then I think we all are interested in uh, continued emphasis on uh, economic resiliency and um, building prosperity by leveraging some of the strengths that we have here, whether it's in artificial intelligence or or in um, uh, life sciences, uh, and seeing what we can do to grow the prosperity of Alberta so we can pay our bills. 
That's an interesting one um, that's come up recently. You've made that the subject of some of your State of the City addresses. Is there um, a single action right now that needs, like, is it a provincial funding commitment or is it changing some of the regulations? What do you think would help? So I've made uh, growing an opportunity economy in our city, um, uh, which which covers a lot of ground, my top priority for this term uh, because... Uh, you know, my key performance indicator remains, and, and long after I'm done being mayor is when I'll know whether this worked or not, did we build the kind of city that my kids uh, are going to want to stay in? And key to that is prosperity, employment, economic opportunity, a culture of, of innovation and creativity, all the things that they're going to um, uh, look look to and that every other person who decides whether they're going to live in Edmonton looks to. And key to that is economic opportunity. And so... Um, especially in this economic climate and given the fact that we're being disrupted in so many different ways, um, we need to embrace that. And so that's a, as much a culture shift, and that's what I've been focusing on a lot, as it is a change in the way we deliver certain programs. So we're looking closely at Tech Edmonton and how we uh, improve the opportunities for more research that's happening at the University of Alberta to get commercialized into new company growth. And so that's under review right now, um, and uh, we hope to have some changes there this year. Uh, and then there are further opportunities for Alberta to step up the way Ontario and Quebec have to match the federal government's leadership on funding for artificial intelligence and not just further research, but how do we enhance our ability to commercialize the brilliant science that's happening at the University of Alberta, which is recognized as some of the best in the world. We need to turn more of that into companies. And those companies, I think um, I think we have a great sandbox here in Alberta, You know, whether it's oil and gas, um, which needs to become more competitive, which needs productivity gains, or whether it's forestry or whether it's food or whether it's manufacturing, how can these new digital technologies and analytical technologies improve the performance of our traditional economy to help it be competitive? Likewise, how can those technologies help the city of Edmonton be more efficient in the deployment of resources and services. So I think we have to embrace this new technology. Uh, and really, the hope is that the provincial government will make some strategic investments around artificial intelligence, particularly uh, uh, to support commercialization, the acceleration of new companies, uh, and that those uh, intellectual property um, law changes or rule changes with the university and tech Edmonton will help us effectively commercialize more of those, build more companies, create more jobs, create more wealth here in the city. Getting back to the um, the election specifically, once you've had debates about these key initiatives, once you've heard the campaign promises, you may be tempted to weigh in again and you know comment on them. In the past, I know your predecessor had endorsed Jim Dinning in one of the leadership races, but generally tended to shy away from any kind of endorsement. Do you think there's anything that will tempt you to endorse a party in this election? And if you had a little angel on one shoulder, a little demon on the other so shoulder, what would they be saying on that file? Well, first of all, I, I wouldn't make that decision unilaterally as mayor. I would I would consult with my city council colleagues because I think that um, uh, that's that's really a city decision. Our culture has uh, more or less always been uh, that we stay above the partisan fray. That's one of the strengths of the local government system is that it's it's a little bit more ideas driven and a little bit less partisan. You know, one of the reasons I do what I do at City Hall is because I see it as an opportunity to raise a level of debate on lots of issues, uh, in, whether it's climate or whether it's innovation or whether it's infrastructure. And so uh, I think our role is to help raise the level of debate by shining a light on issues and asking hard questions of the parties about uh, their commitment to working with local government partners and supporting um, 
uh, growth and resilience in our communities. And so I think we'll 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 take the high road there um, unless Edmonton City Council decides to take a, a firm position. But that really has never been our culture. And so I would be surprised if if there was uh, any move to endorse a particular party. But I think we would take a strong position, for example, and have that, um, you know, parties that that are not taking these housing issues very seriously, that, that that's a huge issue for us. Again, it wouldn't lead to endorsement or or otherwise. It's just a criticism uh, of a specific policy plank. Well, constructive feedback to say there's a gap here and we want to, you know, regardless of who forms government, we want to see this gap filled because we think that there are better outcomes to be achieved and and more efficiency and better public policy and savings of money ultimately for the taxpayer. And and that's, you know, we'll advocate on that basis rather than on a on a particularly partisan basis. The um, head of the UCP, Jason Kenney, is calling Edmonton ground zero for his party. There is some concern that the UPC could do really well in the rest of the province while Edmonton sticks with the NDP and gets locked out of power. Obviously, you've studied how that's happened or not happened different times in history. What are your thoughts on that? Is that a risk? You know, I, I think Edmonton has long suffered for a variety of reasons from an absence of confidence when it comes to these issues. And uh, I think we need to adopt a more confident posture that regardless of uh, um, what the colors on the electoral map may look for, like that this city is critical to Alberta's prosperity. And one of the ways that we have found that confidence is in the metropolitan context with our neighbors. And so when you put 13 mayors around the table and we develop a shared vision for the growth of this region, for infrastructure, for economic development, um, then if some of the seats are one color and some of the seats are another color, um, you can choose to be divided or you can choose to be united. And so we've built those alliances and, um, and, and I think Edmonton and Calgary have an opportunity to, along with Red Deer and Grand Prairie and Lethbridge and Medicine Hat and uh, Fort McMurray to really articulate that the, the cities are where prosperity will be driven. And that if, regardless of who forms government, if the next big challenge for Alberta is to grow the economy, and grow government revenues to solve our fiscal challenges while meeting our social and environmental challenges. I mean, that is the tough work. Um, cities are critical to that. And regardless of what color um, your city is on the map, every city in Alberta is critical to that. And it would be incredibly short-sighted for any government to pit one city against its neighbors or against another city. And historically, I think Alberta has suffered for that approach. And Edmonton has played right into it because of an absence of confidence. So I think we have to adopt a more confident posture, build alliances, and then make the case for continued investment in, in our city because it will help any government achieve its goals for a stronger Alberta. I like that. I like that vision, that that call to be confident, that call to put away fear, don't vote with fear, but seek out the really what is the best for the province. I think that's a good message to, to share. Thank you for that. On funding, whoever wins, it looks like Edmonton will have a funding formula in law, which makes it a little bit more difficult to change if a different government wants to do something else. To give um, listeners a little bit of background, you've been working at this because you wanted to move away from a grant, the MSI, that just kept getting chopped. With a formula tied to the economy, at least you could count on it going up when the economy improves. But last summer, you were quite upset. You were heading into a four-year budget without any resolution, and you said you were at a stalemate in negotiations. You called on the minister, maybe the premier, to get involved. Then what changed? 
Well, we we got movement. I mean, um, there were a lot of different things in the mix at the time, and we had urgency because of our budget cycle. Um, but we were able to get movement after you know many many years of conversation on this back and forth. We were able to get um, against the backdrop of a very difficult fiscal environment in Alberta. We were able to secure the principle that we should be partners in building prosperity in Alberta, and that's how moving to a revenue sharing mechanism. Um, uh, and supplanting this old dependency uh, kind of relationship with the grants, which was always volatile, always uh, at risk of changing. Um, and a government can still pass legislation and, and change the mechanism that we have now, but they've got to do so in the open. There's public debate about that. We have a chance to respond to it. So this is a, a big step forward in terms of the legitimacy and recognition of the cities as valued partners. And it creates a positive feedback loop. So if we do the right things to help grow Alberta's economy, our infrastructure transfer will grow with it. And of course, we'll share the pain if, uh, uh, if things are in downturn for whatever reason. And um, But, you know, if the government revenues go down by 2% and our grant goes down by 2%. That's way better than those years where our grant got cut uh, by um, 10 or 20% while government revenues went down and then didn't go back up ever. Was part of breaking the stalemate actually accepting a much lower figure as well? Because what you're going to get through this is actually lower than what you're getting now, right? It's, it's similar to what we're getting uh, currently. Um, and the improvement is that we have upside now. So uh, rather than locking in permanently at this level, we've essentially kind of inflation proofed it and growth proofed it because government revenues should grow with both inflation and overall growth. And so there's a compounding there. And we hope that that will recover as we do the right things to help support the recovery of Alberta's economy. And so um, we had to accept that in this fiscal environment, um, arguing for a higher baseline was was uh, was not going to get us anywhere. Now, we did secure two other important things in addition to the principle of legislation and the principle of partnership. We secured um, long-term uh, transit commitments to the tune of $200 million a year starting in 2027. That picks up after Green Line Phase 1 in Calgary and after really West LRT and the next piece around Blatchford um, and, and allows us to start thinking about the next phase of LRT expansion in both cities and, and make some good long-term planning decisions and hopefully match those dollars against the federal program becoming permanent, which uh, we continue to push for as well. So um, so that's secured in the legislation. And if, and if uh, any future governments were to decide they didn't want to make transit commitments in the long term, they would have to, again, have a, a debate in the legislature about that and change, change the law. And so uh, that was an important um, principle to secure there in law. Uh, as a long-term commitment. And then there's also some um, a $50 million program for regional collaboration to incent further work there, which builds on a lot of other work we've been doing. So there were a number of wins, including um, uh, the, the transit and the, and the regional piece, which uh, sweetened the pot on the fact that the baseline is lower, even though the mechanism is much better than what we had before. When you say the baseline is lower, does that include the transit and the regional? Like if you put all that together in a package, are you getting just dollar figures? Are you getting dollar figures about the same next year as you are now? Yeah, and the baseline like just picture. means that roughly we're going to continue to get what we've been getting uh, what, or what we got this year after yet another cut. 
Um, and okay. so overall, they're a big reduction from what we were getting when oil prices were higher and when gas prices were higher and when the deficit was lower. But it's really difficult for us to make the case uh, for more. So we are sharing the pain. It's, it's, it's mindful of Alberta's fiscal realities, uh, but it's not a further erosion from where we were at. And again, there's growth and upside. And when you roll in the transit money and the regional money in the medium to long term, it's, it's an improvement and, and it will grow. And if uh, for those people who really like to follow this, is there any like what is the indicator that we need to follow to know if the funding is going to go up or down? Is there a specific indicator into identified yet? Yes, the the mechanism for the uh, replacement to the MSI grant, the general infrastructure uh, transfer, that that is uh, just tied more or less directly to uh, government revenues. Now, there's a bit of a prorate in the first few years, um, but then over time, it, it becomes a one-to-one relationship. So if government revenues go up by 5% uh, because the economy's grown and it's tracking that, then uh, our grant will go up by 5%. Um, and it lags a, a few years just so that everyone can plan ahead. So you'll be able right. to track that indicator and, and the government will be able to budget for it accordingly. Nice and simple. I mm-hmm. like that. Um, carbon tax, carbon tax, carbon levy. I think you said before that you weren't always a fan of putting a price on carbon, and then you changed your mind. I've I've always been concerned about climate change. I mean, I was one of those people who read, I think it was assessment report four, even before I was a city councilor, and I didn't read all three thousand pages of it. I just read the scary first few <laughs> sections of it, and this was before the scientists had discovered adjectives to to really make their case. They were still very much making a dispassionate case that this is something we should be paying attention to, and that was alarming enough. Now the scientists are are using a lot of adjectives because they're very, very worried. And and we got a, a dose of that last year when they were here for the climate conference and uh, with the IPCC. So, uh, um, but seven or eight years ago, as I did more research on this, when I was the lead on council's environment initiative, uh, there really are two approaches. You can uh, take a market-based incentive approach using pricing, uh, or you can take a regulatory approach. And the regulatory approach requires significant government intervention and creates potential for a lot of winners and losers and uh, requires just potentially massive um, regulatory effort and enforcement effort. Whereas a pricing effort, uh, pricing approach is a very elegant economic solution. And um, the uh, uh, everything that I read over, you know, seven or eight years um, really led me to believe that I, I completely understand how unpopular it is. Uh, and it can be easily, easily dismissed um, and, and characterized as something coming out of your pocket. But if if you don't feel it, then you're not going to change behavior. You're not going to choose a more fuel-efficient vehicle because there's lots of choices we can make to reduce our exposure to it. Uh, and there's rebates um, so that people are made whole. And there are incentives even, uh, whether it's on the on the homeowner side around renewable energy or energy efficiency uh, increases uh, to your home, which again, produces savings now. Um, and then, but really at the institutional level, you know, to give a city of Edmonton example, um, our diesel bus business case um, becomes positive at $20 a ton because you can avoid that cost by moving to electrification. So you put incentives in and you support the transformation of the market. And as the market transforms, it gets better at building cheaper electric buses and then the benefits take off. If you try to regulate everyone into buying electric, then the incentive structures aren't there and you'd get even more pushback and it probably wouldn't be effective. So I I actually think the market solution is the elegant solution. I think that I wish we could have a broad public policy consensus on that. I, I support pollution pricing. Yeah, pollution's a bad thing. 
let's put a price on it to create the right incentives for the innovation to happen and for the market to flourish to solve the problem. Otherwise, we're not going to solve the problem. And then all of these debates won't have mattered a whole bunch. And who won what won't have mattered a whole bunch either. Where do you think the resistance to it in Edmonton, in, in Edmonton and in Alberta, where do you think the resistance to it is coming from? You know, there's much less resistance to it in Edmonton uh, than in other parts of the province. And I think it's just, frankly, again, it's a question of raising the level of debate. And that's what I've been trying to do for many years here on this issue. Um, our council uh, in the last term unanimously endorsed our energy transition strategy, uh, which um, makes reference to a market transformation-based approach and enabling the market to help us achieve these solutions. And then I, I just think we haven't had the hopeful narrative where Ed, you know Albertans as problem solvers who are energy experts and construction experts um, could be part of the solution as the market transforms and as new technologies get developed to allow us to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Or we can just say, well, we don't want anything to change. And as the world changes around us and as other economies embrace innovation and we resist it, you know, we're, we're going to come out exactly where you think we're going to come out in that. But there's so much resistance to change. There's so much, uh, there's, there's, uh, and there's so much fear right now because our economy is being disrupted um, for reasons that have nothing to do, well, have little to do with carbon pricing. Um, and again, you know, the, the, the oil companies, you know, Sun, Shell was uh, pricing for carbon pricing 25 years ago. Suncor has included it in their corporate prospectus as an assumption that it will happen at $40 a ton for more than a decade. So the oil companies have been prepared for this and it gives them the payback to make the investments in reducing the GHG emissions and earning back our social license, which hopefully allows us to do business with the world in a way that we weren't allowed to do and we're still suffering from, quite frankly. Do you think the current carbon tax in Alberta is already working? Well, I think carbon pricing in Alberta has generated some revenue that the government has been able to use to support um, you know, individual homeowners and businesses and institutions to start to invest in renewable energy to create new jobs, green jobs related to um, meeting those those climate objectives. Um, and I think that one of the most significant ways that it has been successful is to uh, fund um rapid transit expansions in the big cities and fund some other transit initiatives around the province. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think we're in the early days of it. But then again, that example of the diesel buses, you know, uh, the incentive framework is shifting positively for us because there is now a disincentive to pollute unnecessarily. That's a really interesting point. I was um, thinking about it because I was talking to some people about how they saw the carbon tax personally, and they were talking about how much their grocery bills had increased. And that seems like a tough one because what other changes can you make? I mean, you can make changes to your car use, perhaps, but sometimes it feels like we're stuck in these changes and, and, and scrambling to find alternatives. But that's not really a question, that's a comment. <laughs> Last question is, are you overall, are you pessimistic or optimistic that the world will meet its greenhouse gas targets and hold the temperature increase? You know, I, I think with each election, that is one of the existential questions that our species is asking itself, and mm -hmm. we're getting inconsistent results. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that it will be the ballot question in the federal election this fall. Um, and I wish it wasn't the ballot question. I don't know if it will be. I mean, I think, I think best vision for a prosperous and resilient and environmentally responsible and socially inclusive Alberta should be the ballot question um, rather than is this... Um, is this 
pricing mechanism popular or not. Because if it's a popularity contest, uh, we know how that's we know how that's going to end. So I, I think there's an opportunity to continue to make the case. We've tried to raise the level of debate with our energy transition strategy, with our change for climate program, um, and uh, by bringing the the climate science conference uh, here last year and it's worked we've seen we've seen shifts in in uh, public perception around this issue and greater public commitment again three out of four edmontonians roughly believe the science and believe we need to be acting urgently so the public will is there overwhelmingly how do we translate that into consistent and durable action and broad consensus across political parties that this is the right thing to do for our kids i'm going to keep trying but it's not entirely up to me Well, thank you again. I really appreciate that you joined me here, and this has been really interesting, so thank you. My pleasure. This is the Press Gallery Interview Edition. A reminder to subscribe, and if you like what you hear, a five-star rating would ensure that the friendly algorithms bump us up and get more people to discover this window on Alberta politics. Thanks again for listening.